The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to be in Psalm 42. We're going to read and then read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. I'm going to do it a little different in the first service. So we're going to pray that God would change our lives first, and then we're going to jump in. Father, you are good and you are here to carry us through difficult times. And Lord, I pray that verses and passages like this psalm today would teach us that even though we are in a desert place, even though we are going through a difficult time, there is a way out of it. And I pray that we wouldn't reduce this psalm, that we would not reduce a relationship with you to checks that have to be checked off in order for us to overcome something. That we would understand what being in relationship is all about, and that today we would learn how to speak truths to our heart and our soul so that we can find relief and freedom and a way out of the difficult times of life. God, this is for you. It's all about you. Lord, help us exalt the name of your son Jesus this morning. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 42. You could follow along on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. Here's the key verse of this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We will stop right there. Anyone heard that song? The famous song that's the first verse of this? And I'm going to sing a little ditty. If you know it, just, just give me a little nod like I got this song. Ready? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. I was trying to do the warble like the old lady at my first church did. It's amazing that anyone came to Jesus in the 90s. Um, it's a, I mean, it's bless her, right? That's what we say about people that we want to make fun of in Christianity. God bless them. But seriously, that song sounds so beautiful. That song, it, it goes on T-shirts and coffee mugs. If you go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore today and you say, hey, 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 I want coffee cup with a deer and a babbling brook. It will have that verse on it, and they will have at least 12 variations. And you could walk out, and you can drink your sad Folgers every morning in a cup that's lying to you. Because this song is not about a deer that's going by a refreshing brook. This song is about a deer that's dying, dying. Now, I'm mostly a city kid. I grew up in suburbs most of my life, so deer are new to me. I don't know a lot about deer. There's not deer that are prancing around San Diego or Los Angeles in Southern California. So deer to me, I'm, I love me a good deer, and I see deer here now. I know that if you've been here for a long time, maybe you're used to this, or maybe you grew up somewhere where they actually had living animals that weren't just humans and cockroaches and rats. But anyway, um, I, I go down the back way, so where are, where are we? I go down Dorman, I turn right, I go down this Boyette way, and there's cow pastures, which I love cows because it just reminds me of beef jerky. And then at night, on Monday nights, I can drive, and I'll have my headlights on, 
And it's, it's cool back there because it's quiet and eerie. Like if your car broke down, you're in the middle of the Blair Witch Project. It's terrifying. But every once in a while, I see the two reflecting eyes looking back at me. And I'm like, oh, it's a deer because I didn't grow up around deer. So I'm very excited about, easy, like, I'm easily excited, right? I'm the dog from, uh, like, deer, you know. I, if I put my Jetta in turbo mode because I want to see this deer. And I'll put my high beams on. As soon as my high beams on, what happens? And that deer just vanishes. Poof, goes into the forest playing with the panthers and the little cave trolls that I imagine are out there, but it's gone. I, I can't get close enough to a deer here. Even the one time when um, I was at a friend's house, they have deer feeders, and the deer were being fed by this contraption that shoots out deer food. And I was so pumped. I'm like, wait, you mean the deer come to you? And they said, yeah, yeah just wait. It's going to go off soon. You hear just going off. It's like a sprinkler. And then the deer started coming in. I'm like, what is this? So I get out my phone and my hobbit-sized feet, and I'm like, deer running out there. Ah! And I'm yelling, you know. And everyone's, be quiet, be quiet. The deer going to run away. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to get a picture. Nobody got a picture of the deer that day. Because deer are smart. Deer know where to go to get food. They know where to go to get water. They're not animals that are aimlessly one walking around thinking, hey, I'm thirsty. I don't know where the water is. They know where the watering holes are. They know where the streams are. So if a deer is panting for water, if a deer doesn't know where to go to live, it is in a bad season. It is in a bad place. This deer is dying for thirst. I am going to make a whole line of anti-Christian Christian coffee mugs when I grow up. It's going to have verses that people take out of context. So I'm going to have a coffee mug with this. But it's going to be a deer dead next to a dry riverbed with its tongue hanging out of its mouth. I already got it planned out. I'm marketing this to Field and Stream and like Hunters United, whatever those magazines are. You know, all those rednecks and hillbillies. Like, I got me a dead deer in a mug. (laughs) And it's going to be great. I'm so pumped. Because that's this verse. And then I'm going to say, as the deer pants for water, hashtag it died. (laughs) This is going to be good. I cannot wait for my anti-Christian Christian coffee mugs to come out. This is this deer. But, but what's terrifying is that this is you and me because the metaphor just turns right on us. This deer is dying just like my soul is dying of thirst for God. And this, is, this scares me as a pastor. This, this two-verse section is one of the most terrifying things to me as a pastor because I don't, I don't even know that we see or have this thirst for God. It's so easy to just get enough water on our mouth with life, to get enough things to gently satisfy us that we never understand the real amount of parchedness that we are. We've never gotten to the point where our lips start to chap and the tongue sticks to the roof of our mouth. I got there recently. This was about uh, three weeks ago, give or take. My wife is ill right now. Please pray for her because we're pregnant. We've got our fourth child that's on the way. Super exciting, except for her right now because she's super miserable, um, which by virtue means that I sleep next to misery. Um, but, But early on, and she's still pretty ill, but I couldn't, she couldn't move. If she moved, sickness came upon her. I don't know how women do pregnancy. I just blame Eve in the garden. It's all her fault. Um, but I couldn't move her. I couldn't touch her for a season. Now I can touch her now. Like I'll reach over and be like, bling, love you. See you later. And I'll slide off the bed. But early on, man, it was bad. Early on, if I moved, I would just hear her go, and I'd be like, ah. Right, God, this is God's plan. This is a wonderful plan for your life. That's another anti-Christian Christian coffee mug. Anyway, um, so, so I, I wouldn't move. And there were nights where I was so thirsty. 
because I forgot to have a glass of water. Maybe I had a beer or two before bed, so I was like, oh, dehydrated. But I would go to, to bed at night when she was at the peak of her illness, but she's still pretty close. She's at 80% now, but she was at 99% of pure ill all the time. So I wouldn't want to move her when she was sleeping. So I'd stay downstairs like 1, 2 in the morning, and then I'd come to bed, and I would just try to sneak in bed like a vampire. And I'd be still all night. I want to go to sleep. But there were a few nights where I was so parched, but she was so sick, and she'd be sleeping. But in her sleeping, she was still sick, and she was still mad at me for, for being pregnant. So I'd be like, I'm so thirsty, but if I move, she'll hear me. There's water right there. <laughs> and you have to weigh, like, do I love myself enough to live and drink this water, or do I love my wife, and will I die for her? <laughs> oh no, sorry. I don't think we've I don't think we've thirsted for God that way. I don't think that we've got to the point where where we are dying and we say, I need God, I need more God, I need the living God. This person is in a funk. This person is in a desert, a dry place, a difficult place. We've been there. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are on any type of spiritual pilgrimage toward God with Christ, you will hit the desert place. The worst thing that we can do as people who have walked with God for longer is to lie to you and tell you that Christianity is a bowl full of jelly beans and it's all easy and nice. You come to Jesus, all your problems go away. That is not true most of the time. You come to Jesus, you'll get a bowl full of problems because God will reveal the ugly things inside you and he'll bring them to the surface. You start to come into this thing called Christianity. If people lied to get you in here, all of a sudden you're going to be real jaded when you go through your first dry season. All of a sudden, when you hit your first round of doubts, when you have your first battle with the questions within, you'll be wondering, is this thing real? Instead of people approaching you and saying, Christianity, it can be amazingly good, and it's sweet and beautiful in this life, and it could also feel like a Mack truck just blindsided you. Because life happens, and God is weaving things into our lives that we don't always understand, but he wants us to have a thirst for him. He doesn't want us to die, and we're going to talk about that at the very end. Now, this is, this is me much of uh, my life. I've had seasons of this. My tears have been my food. I mean, this is the bottom. For those of you who have done this, this is when you've cried until you can't cry any longer. This is the thing where you're crying and your body's still crying, but your eyes say, I'm on empty. Just keep on going about your sadness, but I can't even put out another tear this is the sadness of the sad. I've been here. Many of you, I'm sure, have been here. How do we get out of here? That's the question. Nobody wants to be trapped in a phase of life that is dry and desolate and full of sorrows. We want to find relief. This psalmist, the sons of Korah, they want to find relief. So first, he starts reminding himself themselves, these things I remember, verse 4, I pour out my soul. So they look back onto the sweet times they had with Jesus. Now, this works for anything in life. When I'm about to uh, uh, discipline one of my children and get super, super angry, I think of the beautiful times I had with them. Because it's a lot harder to be mean toward my children when I think about that day when they popped out of the womb. Like, there's no excitement. If you're not a parent yet, you, you won't get it yet, but that's okay. You'll get it eventually. Um, when the baby pops out and you're holding this little thing, and I don't even know why we love that baby. And I, I love that baby right after it pops out. I love it with all my heart. And then I give it away for five months because I don't like it until it's six months old. And then I take it back and we crawl and play lightsabers. 
But it, I look at that and I think, hey, this is so much love. So I remember back, and sometimes uh, now Jackson, he's, he's getting so tall. It's, it's ridiculous. I see him. He goes out and plays soccer with these like, kids who are 15. And I'm thinking, why are you playing with those kids? They've already gone through puberty. They come back home. Let's play Legos and be adorable. But no, he asks me, Daddy, when does puberty start? What is, what is armpit hair? How do I get some? And I'm thinking, hopefully never. Please don't talk this way in front of your mother. If you go through anything called puberty, just stay away from girls. I don't know. I don't know the answers yet. But I, but I remember when he was born. I remember the first time he cried. I remember the first sonogram when you see that little Sour Patch Kid in your wife's womb through the black and white pictures. So sometimes when I'm, I get mad at him, I, I go off the pastor handle. I put on my bat dad voice. I have to go back and say, I'm sorry. And I'm not usually apologizing to the goofy-looking nine-year-old that's seven foot tall. I'm apologizing to my little Sour Patch Kid who still has my heart because I remember. Some of you, you need to remember the sweet times with God because you've run out of them. Your gas tank is on empty. You forgot where God has taken you. You forgot God's faithfulness. You forgot that in the midst of a difficult trial that God came through. Every time I go through a financial trial, I know this is smaller amounts now, but I remember when I got my first credit card, man, I racked up that credit card debt so fast because it was in college. They said, hey, if you sign up for a credit card, we will give you a free Nerf football. So I said, cool, endless debt, toy that will break, sign me up. I got it. I was like, what does this do? Free money. I had Best Buy. Boom, boom. Call my, can I get a limit raise? Yes? You're so kind. Boom, boom. Until I was a few thousand dollars in debt, and I was praying, God, I am up to my, because as a 19-year-old, like 3400 some dollars, it's like up to here. It's like what student loans feel like for some of you, or mortgages feel like for the rest of you. <laughs> I can't ever do this mountain. But then I pray, I say, God, what did I do? How did I get into this? God, help me out of this. And then after a month of praying, now this won't happen to all of you, but it happened to me. Someone wrote me a check, said, I felt called to give this to you in this amount here. I'm like, what is this for? Is this what God told you to give to me? This, this poor, broke youth pastor? So I look at it. It was for $1 over the amount that I owed on my credit card. Very specific amount of money. And I thought, I can pay off all my debt, and I can still get two tacos at Jack in the Box. So every time now, when I see the bill come in, I'm like, babe, do we have the money to pay that? I remember, God's going to take care of me. Now, he doesn't always do that. It don't believe for a second that I don't pray for that all the time for me, not you. Like, Lord, my mortgage is this much this month, baby. You got this. Here's my balance of my student loans. Take it away. He hasn't yet. And, and God's not a cosmic gumball machine. That was last week. But I remember the times he's been good. I remember the times when I've been crying my eyes out and God has shown up in my little car on a mountain in Hawaii. I remember the times when I needed someone to be there and God brought an unlikely person to step into my life to bring hope and kindness. I remember the times when my prayer life felt like it was bouncing off walls and returning back to me, and doubts were just flying through my mind, and God reminded me who he was through a simple act. 
this is where you start. If you're in the dark place, you're in the valley, you have the dark night of the soul, you're dry, your tongue is parched, stuck to your mouth, your lips are cracked. Start by reminding yourself where you have been. And then, my favorite part, talk to yourself. This psalmist is going to talk to himself. This is the only time I'm going to tell you this. It is okay to talk to yourself. If you do it too often and in a weird way, I will send you to a therapist. No, I'm just kidding. Therapy is good for all of us. We should all go. But listen, look at what he says in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? So this guy is going through the hard time. He's saying, I used to have good times, but this is a hard time. I'm eating my tears. This is the worst. So then his head turns down and looks at his heart and says, soul, why are you down? Hope again in God. Just talking to yourself. This is called preaching the gospel to yourself. Reminding yourself that something that you know in your head has not made its way to your heart. That there is a disconnect somewhere here to here. And we all have it. All of us know far more than we have in our heart. Otherwise, we would be so filled with peace and joy and charity and love and generosity, it would radically change everything around us. But what happens is this. It's the, uh, it's the plumbing effect. I've got three kids. If you're lucky enough to have three kids and none of them have ever flushed anything down a toilet, you are lucky. As a, as a uh, person who used to live in this house built in the 40s, this house was, I, I loved it. It was what you call quaint. That's another way for saying jacked up, old, and ugly. Um, it was quaint. I mean, if someone's called you quaint lately, they, they didn't mean that about you. Okay. Um, this house had like a, the plaster walls that I could literally do. You just poke right through it. We had one bathroom in this house where um, everything was within arm's reach. So you could wash your feet and your hands and, your, and go to the restroom same time. Boom. This house was so old, though, nobody had checked the plumbing in years. So we moved in. I remember our first week. This is first week. I was, got this new job at a church. I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. Get a new job at a church. We move in. I think this is the first day, right? Wasn't this the first day, babe? First day we move into this house. You know, flush the toilet, whatever. And, man, that thing rose up like a miracle from hell. It filled the toilet. It started coming up out of the bathtub. I don't even know how that works. I don't know enough about plumbing because I'm a Bible guy. But I'm like, why did I flush the toilet and stuff came up out of the bathtub? I don't understand. I'm going back to trade school for my next degree. And, man, we had problem after problem. And that, by the way, that day, first day in this new house, new city, family like 60 miles from us. Now we've baited them all here with grandbabies. Um, they just flooded out. And my wife was there just like, but it wasn't really like that. It was like Niagara Falls. And I was like, I could do this. I'm a good husband. I'm like, we ain't even lived here yet. This is not even my or my children's mess, but I will do this. I cleaned that thing up. But in that house, for some reason, we found out later, the pipe that was once this big, they used metal pipes apparently back in the day, probably just repurposed tank tubes after World War II, and it had rusted and corroded all the way to like nothing. So like every month, there's just problems. And then you couple that with kids who are like, there's a hole in a bowl. I should put things in the hole in the bowl. So that was my life for three years, just cleaning it out, cleaning it out. I learned how to do snakes. I climbed under the house. I got in a fight with skunks and black widows. They are the whole nine yards just to figure out how to get this thing to work. And I realized what the problem was. Eventually, the hole was too big for the Barbie heads and the seven pounds of toilet paper. The hole was too big to take in, or too small to take in the things that were in the top. 
This is you and me. We, we come to churches. We love it. Man, if you read the Bible, go to Bible studies, you're in a prayer group you serve, you have it all going on. Your toilet bowl is full. But a lot of us don't actually take the knowledge that we have and convert it down to our heart. A lot of us don't take the truths about what God has done, who God is, and how much God loves us and squeeze it through the pipe because our pipe has been sealing shut with rust and grime and roots. A lot of us know far more than we are obedient to. A lot of us know that we should be men, good husbands, and kind and loving and lay down our lives like Jesus did. And how often do we do that? Maybe a hot 5% of the time? Do I need to remind you? This is me. My wife will literally throw up if she moves a centimeter. And I'm over here being greedy waterman. And then she'll go be sick. And I'll be like, I didn't move. Because I feel the best way to cover up one sin is to do another one and just lie on top of it. We do that, by the way. So do we, how do we take what we know and get it into our heart? First, we just talk to ourselves. I know a lot of things up here that my heart's not believing. If our heart believed everything we know, we wouldn't worry. If we believe, for example, that God knows where every bird is on every branch, and every time a sparrow falls, God knew. It's falling one inch, one half inch, boom. If God knew, if we believe God knows and counts the hairs on our head, if God's like, right now, in just in this room alone, there are 15,531, no, 30 hairs. Right now, God knows that. Would we worry about where our next meal is going to come from? If we believed that fully in our heart. No. So we have to cram it down. We say, God, soul, I'm not believing what my head knows. Soul, I want you to believe because we will again hope in God. Now, the key to that verse is, my, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Talking to yourself. Why are you in turmoil? Why are you twisted up? And we remind our soul, hope again in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. We are prone to hope in things that are non-God so often. It is easy to hope in non-God without even blinking an eye. Here's what it looks like. You go home one day. Something bad happens at home. Barbie head flush, your husband or wife is not getting along with you, your kids decide to be rebellious, whatever, they're angry, you flat tire, whatever it is, you're in turmoil. Here's me, here's where I go to hope. Oh, I had a long day, I just need a beer. And then if I had a really long day, I'd be like, ah, I'm just going to eat, but I'm going to wait till I eat my pints of ice cream until it's 1230 at night because I had a bad day. If it's a really bad day, I will, like, clean off all of the kids' leftovers, eat a pint of ice cream, have a beer. I'm like, ah, it's a bad day. What am I putting my hope in? I wouldn't say it. I'm not going to go to the freezer and say, where is my hope for feeling okay about myself today? It's in you, chubby hubby, Ben and Jerry's. Nobody does that. But what we do is we have what we call them comfort foods. I call them you're a wretched sinner food, like me. Because we go to these things looking for something that they can't actually give us, except for the five seconds that we give them. We finish that pint of ice cream, and we go back to feeling terrible about ourselves, probably worse than we did before. Because now not only do we have a problem in our soul that we were trying to cover up with ice cream, we also have a problem in our love handles that you can't cover that up. There's no shirt big enough. You keep eating too much of that. But we do it over and over again. Hope again in God. So tell your soul, soul, hope in God. 
We will praise him. He is our salvation. He is our God. He will rescue us. So when you find yourself in the desert place, we have to hope in God and then wait. Waiting is the hardest thing for us to do in our culture. I've got this thing, and I've done it to some of you this morning. It's this little experiment that I've been doing because it was, it was thrust upon me, so now I'm giving the gift back to all of you. It's called my plus five. It's a, it's a waiting game where I'm teaching myself to wait, and I'm teaching others that waiting can be awkward. It's a living sermon illustration. Here's how it works. Next time you see someone that's not in this room, you give them the normal hug that you give them. And then as soon as they try to pull away, in your mind, you say, plus five more seconds. And you get real creepy with that smile. Because here's what it's 99% of the time, here's what they do. I hug them. And then I'm like, here comes the pull. Because everyone pulls away from me. Because A, I'm a large man. B, your face is probably in my armpit unless you're a large man. <laughs> I'm hugging you or your face is, your head's on my, my chest, which for any grown-up feels awkward. I'm like, come to my bosom, people. you know. Uh, so I'm hugging people. And then they pull. And in my head, I don't say this out loud, but in my head I go, uh-uh. And then you hold them a little bit tighter. And, and here's what they do. I don't know why this is the pattern for people in our culture. First, they pat you. And when they pat me, I'm like, I'm at about three seconds. Two to go. And then they'll, like, rub you in a circle. I'm like, oh, man, they are stuck plus 500. But you do that. Now, here's why I've been doing it. Because... I've been doing it, and I've done this to some of you. I've hugged some of you this way today and this week, like on Saturday at the Band of Brothers. It gets real awkward over there. Having just a bunch of dudes hugging it out at Cool Beans. And you see all these girls, you know, like the freshman girls in college, they have work in there. They're trying to be all cool. There's a bunch of grown men in No Shave November being like, hug it out, bro. It's awkward. Because waiting is more awkward than that on God. Because we are addicted to not waiting. We are addicted to fast food. We are addicted to fast service. We don't want to write a letter. We'll just tweet at somebody. For some of us now, uh, and I mean by some of us, I mean any of us that are 35 and under, a call is inconvenient, right? If you're, if you're 35, 40 and under, your phone rings and you're like, who's calling me? My mother? Why would she call? Don't you know how to text mother? And then you teach your mom how to use emojis, and you're like, Mom, please just call me. I can't do these emojis anymore. Sorry, Mom. Love you. Okay? <laughs> we can't call because calls take so much time. Hi. How are you? Great. There go 10 seconds of my life. Can't you send me a text like a decent human? Because we don't like to wait. You think we don't like waiting for these things? Waiting on the God of the universe. The God who said in his book, to God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Seriously? Good God, I'm going to wait for you for five seconds. If you don't at tweet, hashtag reply to me right now, I am bouncing out of here. Okay, bye God. We do that all the time. So many people pray. I hear uh, people pray all the time because I'm a pastor. So people feel like if you're hanging around a pastor, you should probably pray sometimes. Otherwise, you might not go to heaven. That's not true. Jesus died for you. You go to heaven because of faith in him. I'm just a dude. But people pray around me, and I listen to their prayers. I'm a prayer eavesdropper. And because I need Jesus still, I'm a prayer judgy McJudgerson. You pray around me, I am judging your prayers harsher than a Pharisee back in the Jewish days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you pray around me, you better be prepared to be judged internally. I won't judge you to your face because we're supposed to be nice Christians. No, just kidding. I will judge you to your face. But people will pray around me. No. This is how we all pray. This is how I pray around people, too. My kids pray this way. We all we this jacked up prayer life. Hey, God, uh, thanks for this day. It was good. Thanks for all the stuff you gave us, and um, we'll talk to you later. See you. Bye. Amen. Now, imagine if I just called you, and that was our conversation. Me talking, you doing nothing. Ring. Oh, hey, Jocelyn, how are you doing? How's your new ukulele? Hope you're having a great day. Oh, okay, bye. Let me, let's put this in real life perspective. How about when you or your spouse are at work, or you and your best friend, if you don't have a spouse yet, um, keep looking. God, there's hope for you. God has a unicorn out there for you. Um, I want you to call your spouse, talk to them, but don't do it today because they'll remember. Do it a month from now. And whichever one of you has the memory like an elephant, call your spouse. I want you to say a whole half of a conversation and then hang up like the flash. Just wait till your spouse forgets. And if, they ha- if both of you have good memories, just wait until you're both on ginkgo biloba and give them placebos. And then do it 50 years from now. Hey, sweetie, hope you're having a great day. I'm doing this and this and this. What are you doing? <laughs> now we laugh. Why do we laugh? Because we all do it with God. Why are we laughing? We all do this with God. God, thank you for this day. Blah, 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 blah. Click. Wait on God. Wait on God. How do we wait on God? You just wait. There is no secret sauce for waiting on God. If you're in the desert place, remind yourself of what God has done, and then you wait it out. And you position yourself under God's grace. You say, God, I'm, I'm here. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to pray. I've got all these doubts. I've got all these sorrows. I'm just crying my eyes out every night. I don't know when this will change. I don't know when that will change. My finances are wrecked. My relationships are wrecked. God, help me. What do I do? Wait. I, I can't tell you how you're called to wait. I'll tell you how I wait. I wait with this book in front of my face. I don't even read it all the time. I'll go somewhere away from everything. I will put my phone not on me or on silent, and I will sit there and wait. And there's no magic behind it. There's no shooting star. Every time I wait, Jesus or an angel don't frolic along Apollo Beach jetties and say, Ryan, you have waited. I am here. What is your wish? No, a lot of my waiting is just waiting. Right now, God is teaching me about waiting. I've got to wait for this baby to be born. But instead of filling it with things, I should enjoy the process. Instead of filling my waiting with noise, with music when I wake up, with music when I go to bed, with shows all the time, which is me. This is me. I'm, a, I'm addicted to noise, and I need things in my mind. So I, I've begun just waiting in my car. Just, I'm just going to wait this out. I'm going to listen to one song by train because I can't get it out of my head, and then I'm just going to put it on quiet. I'm going to go to a beach. I'm not going to bring my children, not because I don't love them, not because it's not fair to my wife that she's ill and watching three kids and I'm off waiting on the Lord. I've never done that. (laughs) I'm going to wait. Some of you have been waiting for a long time. Moses waited for 40 years in the desert as a shepherd before God gave him his call. He left Egypt at the age of 40. At the age of 80, he got his call. At the age of 120, he died 
as he could see the promised land but couldn't go in it. This poor guy. And some of us are like, I've been waiting for five months and God's not answering my prayers. Maybe God is calling you to wait because there's a beautiful thing that happens when you learn to wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will not grow weary. We will not grow faint, but you will rise up on wings like eagles. Waiting will change your perspective. Waiting will bring you from the ground level to the sky level so you can see with perspective what's going on in your life. Psalm 42 is a gut-wrenching psalm because we've got all these things. How do we get the stuff from the head to the heart? You talk to your heart, you say, soul, you believe this, and now I'm just going to wait on God. I'm going to keep reading my Bible, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to go serve instead of just filling my head with more stuff. I'm going to go exercise and serve people. I'm going to give to the poor. And if you don't think adversity is going to come when you start to do all those things, you are out of your mind, out of your mind. The, the instant you try to wait on God, everything in your life is going to bombard you to not wait. Social experiment. Tomorrow, read your favorite magazine. Set an alarm and say, I'm going to read Field and Stream for 20 minutes. Or let's do a more fishhawk-appropriate magazine. I'm going to read whatever decoupaging is about for 10 minutes. I don't even know what decoupage is. There's something called Mod Podge out there. Apparently, it's a miracle paint thing. You read your magazine. I want you to soak in how to decoupage. I want you to soak in field and stream, how to kill a deer 10 different ways. I want you to, to soak in Sports Illustrated, but not the swimsuit issue, guys. Soak it in. And I want you to count how many distractions you have. And then the next day, I want you to open up your Bible to the book of Peace Psalms. And I want you to start reading. You can read a magazine for so long without a distraction. I can binge watch a show on Netflix or Hulu, and I won't think about an errand I have to do for a solid two hours. All of a sudden, the Bible's in front of me for two nanoseconds, and I'm like, oh, my fridge is empty. All of a sudden, I'm halfway through a chapter, and my kids, who before that moment were like a model UN, they turn into World War III. And it's usually over something like a fake piece of chicken. Why? Is it a coincidence? Probably not. We go against principalities and forces of darkness when we enter in toward God, and it's the same with waiting. If you want to hear how noisy your life can be, start to wait. Then you have to learn how to put the noise down so that you can get to the point where peace and waiting comes. And in that moment, you just tell your soul, soul, we're going to hope in this God because these other little gods, they weren't solving my problem. I will again praise this God because I remember what he's done. I know where he'll take me. I'm going to wait until he gets me there. Waiting is not pleasant a lot of the time, but waiting will get you to that place where you can soar on wings like eagles. So as you prepare your heart to wait this week, I want you to, to look at one thing that I, that is the last thing. When a preacher says that, we're lying every time. The soul of this psalmist thirsts for God. Jesus thirsted for God, or thirsted in John 19. He said, Jesus was on the cross, he said, I thirst. And they went to give him some, some vinegar, basically, some cheap wine. And he said, I can't drink it. Just put it to his mouth and left. Jesus thirsted 
so that we could have living water, the same living water he offered to the woman at the well in Samaria, the Samaritan woman. Jesus went through the desert temptations with Satan so that he could overcome the temptations on your and my behalf. The last thing we need to do as followers of Jesus is to see somebody that's in a hard place and give them the pat Christian answers. And I'm going to try to hit every denomination, okay? So first, you're going through a tough time, and someone says, well, have you prayed enough? Are you in the Word? That's your Southern Baptist. Methodists, you tell them you're having a hard time. Wait, wait, wait. Are, are you doing your devotions? How many time, how many minutes did you spend with God? Are you spending 25 minutes of prayer, 25 minutes in fasting, 25 minutes a month in this? Pentecostals. Are you pleading the blood, brother? I'm just kidding. They don't do that. I just want to preach a black preacher one day, um, and I, I can't until heaven because I don't know why I will. Are you pleading the blood? Are you claiming the promises? Are you standing true? I mean, all of these things we say to people that are in hard times. Instead of just saying, are, are you running to the cross? Are you going to Jesus who thirsted for you so you could have forever water? Are you going to Jesus who went through the darkest, hardest desert so that when you go through the desert, you can know that whatever temptation you're facing, he faced for you. And are we going to stop giving people the pat answer so that we can see the power of God unfold in our lives in such a way that when we are this psalmist, whether we are guilty or not guilty of a sin, we run to Jesus because it is not your behavior or mine that gets God to love us. If that's new to you, welcome to the chapel. It is God's mercy alone. Psalm 51 says God has shown us his kindness because of his unfailing love, not because of our amazing obedience. So in this dark moment, do we see Jesus as the person who gives us living water? Because when we do, it'll be a lot easier to wait. It's easier to wait when you're sitting in the well. It's easier to endure the desert when you have someone that has already shown you the way. It's also easy to take your eyes off of him, so don't. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus this week for anything. If you're in the desert, don't try to look at the checklists. If you want to buy a self-help book, you can buy one, but just use it to fuel a bonfire. Turn to Jesus first and find someone that's where you are and a couple steps ahead and grab onto them like a parasite. If you're in that desert place, there's no need to pretend at the chapel. Bring your mess here. We love it. I told a person this morning, I said, hey, I want you to take people that are new out to lunch from time to time at the chapel. Just offer to take people out to lunch. And they gave me this look like, me? Why would you want me to take them out? I'm, am I the best representation of the chapel? And in my head, I was like, let's see. Jacked up, uncouth, limited manners, loves Jesus, turns to him always, generous, serving. You're perfect. That's you and me. This is the one place, the one moment where you can be who you are and it's free because we can leave it all here. If you're ashamed of your sin, leave your shame. You constantly are falling and failing, bring it to the cross. Don't, don't run away from Jesus when you're in the desert. Even if it's a desert that you brought on by your own choices. You have an addiction that you're going back to over and over again. I've seen people in addiction, whether it's a sexual addiction, substance addiction, they they sin or they get angry. They sin and they run away from God for some reason. That's when we should run to God. But we all do it. We sin and we say, I'm too dirty to talk to God. You were too dirty before. You are too dirty now and you will be too dirty tomorrow on your own. 
The only way you're clean is if you come to Jesus, and Christianity's news is just that good. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent for you. Believe that he died for your sins and rose again for you. Believe that now he is all that you need because he is all that you have. And let the rest of this thing we do in religion, it will come. But if we don't start with this radical addiction to Jesus, the rest of it just becomes a, a religious shell game of hiding the things that are the worst and showing off the things that are acceptable. And that's not this deer that's dying. This deer knows it needs something real. It needs living water. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give me living water. Lord, it's... Um, there are people in here who are struggling. There are people in here who are, who are dry. There are people in here who have felt far from you. There are people in here who are struggling with doubts. I pray that they wouldn't leave their doubts in their mind, that, they, that today they would reach out, that they would, if they don't have anywhere else to go, God, that they could text me and, and ask a question. They could text me and ask for prayer. That they could reach out to, to anybody that they know around them that is with you, that is following you, and that they would find a reminder of the things you have done in their life. And Lord, help us this week to all speak to ourselves. And God, finally help us wait. Help us give you a plus five this week, every day. God, teach us how to hug you till it's awkward. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.